Hey, leaders, welcome back. It is the Ray Johnson Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Lominick, for this episode. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. And uh, we are happy to have you here. Whether you're on the treadmill, whether you're in the office, whether you're out on a bike ride, you're on your commute, mowing the lawn. How about that? Washing the car. Whatever you're doing, you got uh, you got myself and, and Ray Johnson in your ears. And on this episode, Lisa Turkhurst in your ears. And Lisa is the founder of Proverbs 31. She is, uh, she is a force, uh, writing force. She has multiple, multiple New York Times bestselling books. She's a speaker. She's an author. She, uh, she's a coach. She is one of the best marketing minds, I think, out there. Some of her books, Forgiving What You Can't Forget. Uh, let's see, what else we got here? It's not supposed to be this way. It, uh, that's another great book from Lisa more recently. Uninvited. The list goes on. There's so many great books from Lisa. So I want you to uh, check out her work, lisaturkers.com. I'll give you more information on that. Also, proverbs31.org. And this is an international women's ministry that Lisa started back in the in the early 90s. And now arguably one of the most influential women's ministries in the world. So let's get into this conversation. Let's hear from Lisa. She's got some great insights, great wisdom. And she's a She's a leadership uh, voice. You know, she she does a lot of Bible studies and writes, speaks, and is an author, but and she uh, she does leadership. So let's dig in. Here we go. Get your moleskin out. Lisa Turkhurst. So today, we're so excited to invite Lisa Turkhurst back to have a conversation with us um, in our Thrive family. And I was just reflecting, it's been almost a year, Lisa, since we reached out to you to jump on and do an interview last summer when we took all of our conferences online Mm -hmm. and were kind of opened the door to this whole new thing. And you were so gracious and jumped on board with us, um, which was really fun. But thanks. Thanks for doing that. Thanks for doing this today. Mm -hmm. It's really good to see you. Absolutely. It's so good to see you guys. I'm so excited about the work you're doing and um, just pray many blessings over not only your main mission, but also our discussion today. Thank you. And we were talking before we got started. You have had a busy family event season, it sounds like. Yes. So my youngest daughter just got married and we did everything here at our house. We, well, first of all, we finished a year long renovation. Um, they were still finishing things up at 5 p.m. on Thursday, um, which is when the rehearsal dinner started at our house. So they were like literally moving in a couch and people are like shifting their chairs to accommodate, you know, (laughs) so it's so, so interesting. It was like right to the minute. Um, but we had the rehearsal dinner here and we had the, um, the bridesmaids, uh, last sleepover, uh, the night before the wedding. And then we had the brunch on Saturday and the wedding and the reception on um, Saturday night. So it was, it was great. I'm so thankful. Have you recovered? I mean, that's like a solid beach vacation recovery needed. (laughs) Yes. Well, one of my daughter-in-laws, she is um, a nurse and so the day after the wedding, she brought over a, an IV that had B12 <laughs> and um, all kinds of good nutrition in it. And so I think yeah. that helped. And I took a week off from work too. So. Yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. That's what everyone needs after throwing a wedding is an IV. 
of vitamins the next day. I I tell you, an IV and a week off will do you well good. (laughs) That's awesome. Well, congratulations on the wedding. And there's so much ministry that's been happening, it sounds like, in your life. And we're going to dive into all that. But to kick it off, tell us about your latest book, Forgiving What You Can't Forget. This, just when we thought you had been the most transparent and authentic and vulnerable you could be, you bring another book that really helps people get a glimpse into your journey. So tell us about that book. Thank you. Um, Well, first off, I think it's only fair for me to state this is not a message I ever wanted to write because it's not a message I ever really wanted to live. Forgiveness sounds like a great biblical principle. We all subscribe to it. You know, we know that God forgives us and we forgive other people and it's a command by God. We get all of that. But when it feels intensely or maybe even insanely hurtful and impossible, Mm. you know, what do you do in that situation? And so forgiving what you can't forget, really, I feel like, was an assignment by God because I needed to tend well to biblical forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I wrote the message, obviously, to help other people, but I was honest right from the beginning mm-hmm. that my resistance to forgiveness was so intense that there were several times I wanted to quit the book and I mm-hmm. wanted to quit this message. And I think mainly it's because I grew up with an understanding of forgiveness. Like my mom would appear when my sister and I would get into an argument and my mom was like the great judge, you know, and she would declare one person right, one person wrong. (laughs) She would say to the wrong person, you need to say you're sorry to the hurt one. She would say, no, you need to say you forgive them. And the two of you need to hug and make up or else I'm really going to give you something to cry about. Right. (laughs) So that was a good forgiveness lesson for my mom to teach, but I never let my little girl understanding of forgiveness grow up and Mm. mature Mm. into a biblical understanding of forgiveness. And so I was trying to carry a little girl version of forgiveness into some very adult situations. And it was just falling apart because I kept waiting for someone to appear that was a judge to declare one person right, one person wrong. Mm. I kept waiting for the person who hurt me to say that they were sorry and that they would never do it again. I kept thinking like if reconciliation is not really possible, which it's not possible in every situation, then how do you even do forgiveness? I just didn't understand the Mm -hmm. process that forgiveness is both a decision and a process. I knew I could make a decision to forgive, but I didn't understand how do you forgive and still walk through a process of healing. And so I had so much resistance to forgiveness and um, so the book is really, it's, it's not just an exploration of my next part of my journey, you know, learning how to forgive and all of that, but it's an honest human admission that hmm. typically when we say the word forgiveness, people cross their arms and push back because they attach it to the most hurtful things that they've been through. Hmm. And as Christians, we know we're supposed to agree with forgiveness, but as humans, sometimes we just have so much resistance. So in forgiving what you can't forget, I, I don't start with like, you need to forgive. Yeah, I start with the pain that we've been through and kind of the, the place that I want people to get to at the beginning of the book is just to agree with me 
that we deserve to stop suffering because of what other people have done to us. Mm -hmm. Now, what do we do? What is forgiveness and what do we do about it? Right. Mm -hmm. I think one of the things I love about that, Lisa, is that you are writing this in the midst of your own journey. You know, you're as you're experiencing that freedom, you're writing about that versus coming through something and writing about something that happened in the past. And I think readers can kind of enter that story of yours as their journey as well. I think that's what makes it so personable. Actually, what makes your writing so personable to women is that you always write in the midst of some of the harder things that you've gone through and um, and helping free women to do the same. So, um, but you also talk a lot about making peace and some of the painful memories and how you found strength in the midst of disappointment. Of course, all of us have that commonality right now as we're coming off after 15 months of a lot of disappointment and um, you know just things that did not go our way. Practically, how do you do that? <laughs> How, how, how did you do that? And how are you encouraging women to do that in this season? Because I feel like it's catching up to us right now, that weariness. You know, it's been fight or flight for 15 months. We're coming out of this pandemic and now we're starting to settle. And it's like, what do I do with all this? Yeah, my counselor said the pandemic was like draining a lake and we were all forced to see what's really there in our relationships and our home and our family dynamics. And I think it's really rocked a lot of people's worlds. And especially those of us that have family members that deal with addictions, you know, it seemed to be just an epic time where addictions got stirred back up and difficult relational issues stirred back up. And at the same time, you know, we weren't able to gather in person. And so we lost some of the small group dynamics and church gathering dynamics and and community support and even family support. So it has been, I think, a very tough season for everyone. Um, You know, you mentioned me writing in the midst of my pain and it's kind of weird because probably 10 years ago, I would have said, don't write in the midst of your pain because you wanna make sure you've healed enough to actually be able to help move people forward. You just don't wanna wallow in the angst. And I still agree with that. I I don't think we should ever wallow in the angst and try to minister to people while we're in that wallow. But I would disagree with what I would have said 10 years ago. Don't write in the midst of your pain. I would disagree. I think now I've kind of realized that some topics require the appropriate amount of real-time angst in order to have the the kind of understanding with your reader or with the people you're ministering to. Um, There's a different level of compassion. There's a different level of mercy when you can assure someone I I may not have the exact circumstances as you, but I felt the depth of your pain. Therefore, the advice that I give is with a very intimate understanding of that deep pain. And, And I see that in Mark chapter 14, when the Lord was in the garden of Gethsemane, this is Jesus and Jesus had all the answers. He had the plan. He knew for the hope set before him that he could endure the cross, all of that. And yet, Right before he's arrested, Jesus says in Mark chapter 14, starting in verse 32, he says, uh, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. 
And I think, so if answers could fix us, Jesus had all the answers. If, if knowing the future could fix us, then Jesus knew the future. If having the right spiritual perspectives, even, and Jesus had all the right spiritual perspectives, and yet he still felt the angst of human emotion. And so I think that's so important for us to understand as we're ministering to other people, we may not go through the exact same circumstances that they're going to, but we need to minister from that point of understanding the angst because if people don't know that we understand the depth of their pain, they won't trust our advice. And so in Hebrews chapter two, when it's very clearly stated that Jesus came to make an atonement for our sins, yes, he did. But it also says that he also came to become a merciful and faithful high priest. And I love that. He was faithful, completely holding to the truth, but he was merciful and let truth hold hands with grace. And because he had a deep personal understanding of the angst of humanity, he was perfect in his divinity. He was absolutely sinless. But because he knew the angst of humanity and he could say words like, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, then I feel like we can trust Jesus's advice on a whole different level. Mm -hmm. If we know that he knew what it feels like to be so very hurt, betrayed, rejected, ignored, um, you know, just degraded, all of that stuff. And so I say all that just to set a little context to answer your question, you know, how is it that we make peace with painful memories? I think sometimes we think that a memory has to either be good or bad. Like when your family has been busted apart by betrayal and you're hurting so much that you look back on pictures and you thought that this was a beautiful celebration, but now you know because of certain timelines that some people in that picture weren't telling the truth. And so it can make you feel like even though you were living the truth, it can make you feel like you were living a lie and you didn't even know it. And then that memory is so painful. And what kept happening to me is I kept all of a sudden randomly getting pictures on my iPhone that was like mm. four years ago on this day, you were doing this. And those are so fun when they're a celebration, but when you're going through a season of sorrow, it's like a dagger to your heart and it triggers so much pain. One day I was in the grocery store and it happened and I literally laid across the bananas in the fruit aisle and was like weeping. And I just couldn't, I couldn't get it together because you can't really time those triggers. It's not like you can say, okay, 7 p.m. next Tuesday, I'm going to be sitting in the bathtub taking communion (laughs) (laughs) And like, it's a perfect time to time a trigger. Yeah. That's not the way these work. Like emotional pain comes at us. And oftentimes it comes at us Mm. through memories or through the pictures that pop up on our phone or through seeing, you know, an old photograph from 10 Christmases ago or something like that. And, and I just thought, oh, this is so hurtful. And what I finally Mm. had to learn is it is okay for sorrow and celebration to coexist. Mm -hmm. And it is okay for that picture to be 100% true and also part untrue. But because I didn't know the untrue part, I can look back and go, no, you know what? I was being Mm -hmm. true. I was being sincere. I loved that family vacation. I loved that 
family time of gathering together at Christmas. And so I get to decide what to do with my memories. Mm-hmm. And if they were good to me, then I get to keep them. Mm-hmm. And if they're so painful that I can't handle it, I can toss them, erase them. Or some pictures, I can just let it sit and acknowledge this is a combination of both. Yeah. It's part sorrow and it's part celebration. I can make peace with that. But my memories are my memories. And I refuse to let pain go back and rewrite history. And so therefore, I can acknowledge the pain. I'm not living in denial of it. I can acknowledge it, but I can also choose to see the beauty that was still there. Lisa, I think that's really powerful. And I'm, I'm sure it's a word for people listening, but I, I had a mentor once tell me kind of the same thing. Like we have to get rid of the word, but, and accept the word and, and like you're saying, like that was a great vacation and it was a little painful, you know, like to hold Attention. celebration and sorrow together in that tension. I'm sure that has not been an easy lesson to learn, but that's really powerful, a powerful image. What have you in this past year, even this past season, what have you changed um, that you wouldn't have changed walking through either the pandemic or walking through this time of grieving, um, but now you're glad that you did change that thing? Oh, wow. There's several things. You know, I, um, I'm proud to say that I stay in uh, regular communication with my Uh, some people call them therapists, some people call them counselors. It's an amazing Christian counselor that um, I'm so proud of myself that I have stayed Mm. with my counseling and continue to do the work of emotional healing and spiritual healing too. So I'm very, very grateful because I do feel like that as a leader, as a mom, as a friend, you know, my advice is only going to be as good as I am healthy. And I also recognize that other people around me are pursuing healthy and health cannot bond with unhealth. Mm. So I'm going to say that again, because I think that's something really Mm -hmm. people need to sit with this. Health cannot bond with unhealth. We can have a missional relationship with people who are unhealthy, but we shouldn't have the kind of relationship and it's probably not even possible to have longevity of a relationship where an unhealthy person is given access to the deepest parts of our heart. Like we need healthy speaking into that deep place of our heart. And that's healthy spiritually, that's healthy emotionally, that's healthy, you know, just um, even just psychologically. And I don't say that to cut people out. What I do say though, is we have to pay attention to the access that we give people in Mm. our life. Mm. And I'm working on a new project right now and it's on this very topic, but it so relates to the topic of forgiving what you can't forget. And that is if we look at the way God established the temple, it's such a beautiful Mm. picture of leadership. It's such a beautiful picture of boundaries even. And I think sometimes people go, oh, well, that boundaries don't sound very biblical. Well, actually, they are very biblical because if you look at the way that God established the temple, he required people to, the more access they had and the closer they got to the Holy of Holies, the more responsibility they were required to put on display. And so our issue 
a lot of time is that we give too much access to some people without requiring the responsibility necessary to Mm -hmm. maintain that access in a healthy way. Mm -hmm. And so when we give access, but we don't require responsibility, therein lies a discrepancy that will cause a tremendous amount of angst. So if they're not willing to raise their level of responsibility, then through boundaries, we must reduce their access. Mm. And, you know, when I look at the Holy of Holies, God gave very few people the greatest access to the Holy of Holies, Mm -hmm. and they were held to the highest standard of responsibility. And another important part of that is God had consequences. And so if you went into the Holy of Holies and you didn't keep up with the responsibility to have that kind of access, you know, the priests that went into the Holy of Holies, they had to have a rope tied around their ankle with bells. And if the bells jingled and the rope was tight, you know, they, nobody would go into the Holy of Holies and pull them out. They would, they would literally pull the rope and, and there were great consequences. And so boundaries without consequences are nothing but mere suggestions, right? Mm -hmm. And so when I look at this, I, and during the pandemic, I really had to take a hard look at tending well to my health Mm -hmm. and being honest with the amount of access that I give to certain people and the responsibility that needs to be required with the access that I do give people. And of course we can do it with love. Of course we can do it with compassion. Of course we can do it with great understanding and and all of that. But I also have to think through consequences that if you violate the access I've given you without keeping up with the responsibility, it's then my responsibility to reduce the access. Mm -hmm. And these boundaries aren't meant to shove other people away. They're to help hold me together so I can stay in the healthiest place possible. And I think I just had to be real honest about Mm -hmm. that and, and not try to be superwoman. You know, I mean, (laughs) God didn't call me to be superwoman. He called me to be Lisa Turkhurst, a loving mom and a person who cares about people, who's in ministry. Mm-hmm. And um, I need to keep myself healthy. And so I'm, I'm on a relentless pursuit to do just that. We're, we're definitely, I love that picture that you've provided, I think for us just as leaders and wherever we're called to, to serve people right now, because I think we are recognizing what has been lacking that existed even prior to the pandemic. And that this is a time right now where God is calling us back to himself to put back into our lives some of those practices and that better self-care and more margin so that we're operating not out of empty, but a full cup. And and that's, I love what you shared, just giving access to certain people and those boundaries, all of that are really important. But real practically, how would you encourage leaders right now that are stepping into the summer, a little bit of an off season for some, preparing for fall? What are some things that they can do right now to get healthy, to build back some of that margin? Well, I think establishing community is really important. I'm a big fan of making sure that we stay in community with other believers and let people speak into us. And, um, you know, the human heart's really not 
wired for criticism. I know we hear that that whole spiel about, well, it's not just a criticism, it's meant to be constructive criticism. And like, I get that, <laughs> but I just, I don't think that the human heart was created for fame. And I don't think that the human heart was created for a lot of criticism either. <laughs> And so, and yet we need accountability and we need people speaking into our lives. So a good phrase that you can use when you're in community with people is, um, can I, like if you and I were talking, Lisa, and I would say, um, do you have it to give for me to just offer some advice to you? Mm -hmm. Or um, can I have permission to just put something out there and you can consider whether it applies to you or not. And mm. I don't catch it in the Lord told me because, you <laughs> so know, good. sometimes when we do that, it's like playing a God card and it's really complicated. And sometimes I think it's very sincere when people say that, but sometimes it can be a little spiritually manipulative. I think mm -hmm. we have to be careful. Good. So instead it's like, okay, even if God did give you this revelation or whatever, don't present it as like, I'm an authority and I'm about to tell you what God has told me. Because I don't think God talks behind people's backs. I don't know. It just doesn't yeah. feel in keeping with his word, right? That's right. And so, but what I do think is that God has given us wisdom. God has given us community. And um, instead of it being this big criticism, it can be more like, consider this. Have you ever that. considered this? Like, do I have permission to speak something into you? Or do you have it to give right now for me to just make... Uh, to share a thought with you mm -hmm. and then just say, consider what this might do or consider sometimes the blah, 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 how this might unfold. Mm -hmm. And I think having close enough friends where you know yeah. you're healthy is bonding with healthy, letting the Jesus in you speak to the Jesus in them and then giving them permission for the Jesus in them to speak to, to the Jesus in me. And, and, and at the same time, zero judgment, you know, and, and zero comparison and, and zero, you know, I'm going to pray for you, but really it's code for, I'm going to go talk ugly about you or, you know, whatever. I'm going to ask you inappropriate questions. Let's stop asking inappropriate questions. Let's stop asking, like, are you vaccinated? Please. <laughs> like that is medically confidential information. It just doesn't need to be dinner topics. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. But let's do ask. Like, have you ever had a moment recently where you just thought, I don't want to do this anymore. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about it. Mm -hmm. And then do you have a, do you have it to give for me to just share a perspective with you or, you know, a thought with you? And then I want to open up my heart and let you share a perspective with me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I look at the life of Jesus, I do see Je Jesus ministered to the crowds but he also sat at tables and shared broken bread with broken hearts. And that ministry was incredibly impactful. And I think that we need more of that coming out of this pandemic and leaders especially yeah. cannot get isolated. We need mm -hmm. community. And I know if you don't feel safe with everyone, find people that you do feel safe with and choose those people wisely mm -hmm. so that you know that your, your most healthy self and their most healthy self can have really good, productive, healthy conversations. As you're describing that picture of community, um, and this is just a question that came to my mind. We didn't even talk about this, but I'm just thinking of 
the voice that you have specifically in the area of um, women and ministry to women, which seems to be ironically sometimes the hardest group to build community with. Um, some of that, the judgment and the pettiness, it, I'm way over generalizing, but we've all experienced that in... You're talking to someone who didn't think she'd be a woman's pastor. I know. So it's just a step. I just, I think I'm in a season of life where I really value, especially that community with women. That is, um, like you said, a place to, to let the Jesus in you speak to the Jesus in them and call that out. And when you experience that depth of community, it's very life changing. And thinking of this season, you know, this year, um, I think a lot of that has been killed because of our nation and the season we've been in. And um, as you were describing that, I just thought, man, if only we can get back to those conversations around a table, um, Mm -hmm. the power we could have to ask the right questions. So I think I have less of a question, but more of just wanted to say, I think what you're describing and modeling is really vital um, for our church. I don't know, any any wisdom you would speak into that, specifically building that with women? I'm putting you on the spot, but... Yeah, no, I think this is great. <laughs> Such a good, important conversation. Um, I think, well, I'm not going to speak for every woman. I'm just going to speak for me. yeah. That's wise. Um, I didn't mean to generalize. I've been in a season where I am just having to really learn what holds me back from vulnerability Mm -hmm. a lot of times. It's not fear and it's not shame. It's pride. Mm -hmm. And really when I say, like I'm going to say something to someone and then they may take it and go talk about it to other people or whatever. Um, If I'm real honest with myself, why that hurts so bad. I do, I cannot stand to be misunderstood. It breaks my heart because I know I speak with great intentionality. I measure my words carefully. I'm I'm very careful with my words. I feel like words are incredibly powerful and the, the spirit of life and death is in our tongue. You know, we can really speak life or death. But, and all of that's true. Yeah. And, right, see what I did there? And, <laughs> I got not it. but, but and, I, um, I know what the scriptures say. In Matthew chapter five, when Jesus was giving us the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes, he said, blessed are you when people persecute you, insult you, say all kinds of things against you. And so if I have a soft heart, mm-hmm instead of that making me want to clam up and be hard-hearted, it doesn't feel like a blessing when somebody does that to you. Mm-hmm. And I readily acknowledge that. But I think we have to be careful about our motivation from pulling back. And is it because we have too much of an issue trying to manage our image or manage what people mm-hmm. think of us? or manage even whether we're qualified or not qualified to be in ministry. And when I dig really deep into that, I'm like, yuck, I think that's a little bit of pride there, mm-hmm. you know? And I, I need to work on that. And I, I think most of us, if we're real honest, we need to work on that. So that, that 
element of pride or managing what people think of us has, has a lot more to do with what's holding us back from really living the Bible. And when we live the Bible, it's not at all that we give the wrong people too much access to the deepest part of our heart and hurt us. But in our community where we are doing life with women, we need to model first how to do vulnerability. And it's not that you share every detail of what you're going through, Mm -hmm. but you do want to have that community where you admit, look, I'm gonna just be honest here and tell you I'm going through some really hard stuff. Life is not tidy. Life is not all tied up in a bow. And from that place, can you meet me there and lay down an admission that you are also struggling? Because I promise you, if we could pull the curtain back in all of our life, in in all of our lives, we would be like, oh, wow, (laughs) your life is like, you're going through stuff. I'm going through stuff and you're going through stuff. And we're in a church together and we had no idea that any of us were going through stuff Mm -hmm. because we're all so busy trying to manage all of that. Mm -hmm. And, and I think God is just teaching me be smart, be wise, but part of humility is, is the honest admission of, you know, I'm not going to try to manage this in your mind. I'm just going to set it there. What you do with it, God will hold you accountable with it. If you judge me, that's that's yours to, to be held accountable by God. But if you connect with me on it, mm-hmm. you know, the enemy is defeated by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And if we're too afraid to ever really share what mm-hmm. we're wrestling through and how we see God working in it, right. then we're not really being honest about real-time testimonies, Mm -hmm. then we are giving Mm -hmm. the enemy a heyday. Mm -hmm. And I see that right now. And so vulnerability isn't just like, oh man, let me just be vulnerable, like with the surfacey stuff. Vulnerability is like, this is hard. Mm -hmm. This is really hard. I'm not gonna try to manage my image with you. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna lay it out there. I'm gonna be vulnerable. I'm not gonna share every detail, but I am gonna tell you, this is what I'm walking through. Mm -hmm. This is what God is teaching me. And I know, because that's what God's word says, that when I'm vulnerable that way, that I'm stripping away the enemy's power Mm -hmm. and I'm opening up connection between believers. And that is powerful. You know, I'm thinking, I love what you said because I think vulnerability sometimes is we can share the hard stuff with people, but we forget to share how God is working. And that's the second part of vulnerability in that we want to highlight but God is working, but God is faithful, but God is true to his promises and move from the place of, you know, the vulnerable share, but to also include um, God's work in that. So it's combined. That's really good. I love and that. Remember, we don't have to share all the details, right. you know? Right. Sometimes I think people say vulnerability is just like splitting it all wide open. Mm-hmm. And that that's not really it. It's acknowledging the pain that we're walking through and different people have different thresholds of vulnerability. And so be true to what your threshold is. Um, And at the same time, show people it's possible to intentionally look for God in the midst of it, because that's where you're gonna speak life over yourself Mm -hmm. and you're gonna encourage other people to do that as well. And it's so life-giving to be reminded God is good. God is good to me and God is good at being God. 
people may not be good. Circumstances may not be good. Finances may not be good. Church attendance may not be good. You know, whatever it is, but God is good. And I'm going to start from that place and examine my circumstances through the reality that I've already predetermined. God is good. God is good to me. And God is good at being God. And if I start from that place, then I can keep the circumstances in perspective. And I have a much greater chance of seeing God. So good. You know, Matthew 5, 8 says, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. And I stand on that promise and believe it. And I pray it every day. Right. Okay, so let's change gears a little bit here and talk about your writing and just communication books and the powerful messages that God has given you over your lifetime and that you actually are now stepping out and offering a smaller, more curated gathering for writers and communicators. How do we get access to that? (laughs) I so want to learn and be part of that group. Well, there's two ways. One, um, Proverbs 31 Ministries, which is the ministry that I work with. Um, every summer we offer a conference and this year it's a virtual conference called She Speaks. Mm-hmm. And we really help women um, to know how to speak, how to write and how to lead. And it's, you know, it's, it's a really special gathering online. So you can go to Proverbs 31 Ministries and then type in She Speaks in the search bar and you'll find out it's coming up in June. There's still time to register. And I would, I would love for, you know, people to, to really invest in themselves and invest in their ministry using that. Also, for those who are interested in writing, twice a year, we do a book proposal boot camp. I made a promise to the Lord a long time ago that if I ever really got published and made it where my books were actually reaching people, um, that I would help those coming behind me. And so with the Book Proposal Bootcamp, I have connected with HarperCollins Christian Publishing, and I'm actually now able to award book contracts to people who go through the bootcamp. And um, then out of 100 attendees, Um, You have to apply and you have to get in with that group of 100. But once you do that, you get a 10-week course. You have have a writing group. You have a writing coach. Um, You get videos from me and from an agent every single week to study and really learn. And the whole time you're writing a book proposal so that by the end, all the applicants present their book proposal. And then out of those... uh, we have partnered, like I said, with HarperCollins Christian, and we award two to four book contracts every semester. And it is one of my favorite things that I'm getting to do right now, because we are finding women who have tremendous messages, who probably, it would have taken years, maybe not ever, could connect with a publisher. And now we're helping spread their messages. And um, it's really exciting for me. I can see it. (laughs) That's awesome. Okay, so you've got those happening. And then Haven Place is new, it sounds like. Tell Tell us what that's about, how that came to be. Well, I wish so much we could like all of a sudden cut away to a drone camera so I could give you like a little tour of it. But um, I know we're creeping on the website and I was like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. I want to see it. Oh, I'm so excited. Um, So Haven Place is a, um, an event space. It's kind of like, I would describe it as, I kind of call it like my Bible study house. Yeah. So it's not an event space, like it's not commercial. People don't rent it. It's just a place where I can invite people over to my home 
and it's it's right beside my house, um, and I can have a sit down dinner for a hundred people. And then I, um, on our property, I put in a prayer path. So mm-hmm. it's a paved path as lighting and beautiful music, and you can walk this prayer path. So my vision is that we will start gathering and there's three events that I'll be doing at Haven Place. One of them is healing while you're still hurting. One of them will be Mm -hmm. forgiving what you can't forget. And then another one is called moving on when your marriage doesn't. Mm -hmm. And so specific groups of women can kind of find what's most relatable to their circumstances. And instead of coming to a conference with thousands of people, which I love, and there's still definitely a place for that. um, I wanna invite people over to my home and, and it'll be me, it'll be a theological expert, Joel Mutamale, and uh, Jim Cress, who is my personal counselor, but he's also just a world-renowned, recognized therapist, Christian counselor. And, um, and we're going to really tend well to women in smaller groups. And so that's what we're going to be doing with Haven Place. And I'm really, really excited about it. That's so cool. Okay. And you also have another recent project with a brand new devotional series called Seeing Beautiful Again, 50 Devotions to Find Redemption in Every Part of Your Story. Tell us about that. And also, when do you sleep? That's my (laughs) my question. Well, remember, I don't have small kids at home. Yeah. And so... I've entered a new season where my kids are grown. Now, they still take a tremendous amount of time. (laughs) You have grandkids though, Lisa. (laughs) Hence your slide in the background. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, my little slide in the background. Those are, that's for the grandkids. But hey, if you ever come over for one of my events at Haven Place, just remind me you want to take a spin down the slide because it's made for adults too. So (laughs) okay, good. um, But um, I do sleep. Um, I, I, Probably I'm I'm one of those people, it's just a high capacity person and I love doing this. And so, um, yeah, so I do sleep, but seeing beautiful again, what we did with that devotional is I took some of my favorite parts of my book, It's Not Supposed to Be This Way, Mm. and some of my favorite parts of Forgiving What You Can't Forget and shortened those sections into a daily devotion. And then I also went into my personal journal and pulled out fresh writing that has never appeared in any book. And then I also throughout the book wrote letters to whoever's reading it so that if if you have a friend just sitting beside you and you're going through something really hard, this book is is that. I, I wanted an opportunity. I wish I could personally go and sit beside everybody mm-hmm. as they're processing going mm-hmm. through something challenging or difficult or unexpected in their life. So this book is the next best thing. And I think people will find in this book definitely biblical teaching and experiential wisdom. But more than that, I think people will find a woman who understands and I'm giving people permission, even in the midst of their their hard, messy parts of life to look for and discover and appreciate that you can see beautiful, even in the midst of all of that. And I teach people how to do that throughout the message. And I love all those resources and ways. I think really that you're inviting people into the lessons you're living and learning. What is What is life as an empty nester teaching you? 
Well, I used to think like once your kids turn 18, it's like, yay, cross the finish line. They're no longer a kid. Now they become a friend and all the hard parenting stuff ends. And um, maybe for some people that happens, but I'm finding parenting adult kids is probably my most challenging season of parenthood. Mm. It's also the most fun, mm. but it's, it's challenging. It's an honor. And yet there are some times where I just like, <laughs> how in the world are we going to get through this one? Right. Yeah. Yesterday, one of my kids, they were teasing me about something and I uh, laid down on the ground like I was dead. I literally like, fell out on the ground and I had um, my assistant take a picture of me and she said, um, hi, she responded to the kids that were teasing me. Hi, this is Taylor. Congratulations, you finally killed her. <laughs> so, and obviously my kids aren't killing me, but um, being an empty nester, you know, it has its, amazing opportunities. It has grief mm. um, attached to it because of missing your kids. It also has challenges about what are some of the rules now um, with kids coming back home or getting married and wanting to come back home or going through a tough season and wanting to come back home. Like how do you manage all of that. And so, mm -hmm. um, you know, I would love for my answer to be like, oh, being an empty nester, <laughs> I cried and then I left it. But if you really pull back, it's like, wow, this is amazing and challenging and full of grief and full of joy and heartbreaking and awesome. And it's all the same, kind of like raising the kids. It's, it's just in a different capacity. Yeah. That's a good word. We just launched our final of four to graduate from high school. And so we're entering that season. And, and that's kind of the expectations that need to be set for parents, anyone listening, that you're not done at 18. <laughs> you're just starting another season, another layer of parenting. So, but you're right. There is some blessing now to just come alongside and, and be their biggest supporter and keep them in prayer and, and just see the Lord grow their faith as they take their faith journey with him. So, so good. Yeah, and I think just also, um, I do think empty nesting gives you space and a little more white space in your life hmm. to wrestle well with how do you really lead adult kids or mentor adult kids with equal measures of truth and grace. Hmm. And so I think the extra white space in terms of, yes, I don't have all the kids showing up every day for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I'm not packing lunches. I'm not running carpools, you know, all of that. So I do have some white space, but I've tried to get intentional, just asking the Lord every day, how do I lead these young people and mentor these young people um, holding fast to my biblical truths and not compromising truth, hmm. but always letting them know I love you. And even when I don't love your decisions, I love you and there's grace there. And, and so I use that extra white space right now to wrestle well with each different situation and meshing together grace and truth and not violating either one. Hmm. Oh my gosh the word for me. Thank you. 
hey, you are full of grace, full of humility, and I love your teachable spirit. This whole conversation, you've just shown that. Who are you learning from right now? You know, I am learning from so many people right now because I, 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 like I said, I'm going through another hard season. And I think when I'm in a hard season, um, some, some may get hard hearted and I'm sure that I've gotten hard hearted in certain seasons, but you can also choose to be more like a sponge. And so I'm, I, I really am making the choice right now to stay soft and moldable and operate like a sponge. Um, I'm learning a lot from my counselor, Jim Cress, and from our director of theology, Joel Mutamale. He's the director of theology at Proverbs 31, and he's just amazing. Both of those men, Jim Cress and Joel Mutamale, I, I cannot recommend them enough. And we do a podcast together called Therapy and Theology um, through the Proverbs 31 uh, Ministries podcast. We do series, and I am telling you, those podcasts are well worth every minute that you would invest listening to them. We don't avoid the hard topics. We deal with topics like narcissism and shame and uh, gaslighting and, you know, just some really relevant mm. topics that, that are super healthy. And so Joel brings the theology and Jim brings the therapy and I bring the issues and it just works <laughs> really well. <laughs> you got a good trio going on there. That's good. <laughs> well, Lisa, I... I would love to chat with you all day, but we do want to honor your time. And just wondered as we're wrapping up, is there any last words you would want to leave with those that are listening? Um, something you want to encourage them with or challenge them with, but the floor is yours. Thank you. Well, a couple of things I would encourage women. I'm very sensitive to um, the pandemic and the extreme rise in domestic violence. Mm. And um, so I, I just want to speak straight to anyone's heart who is in a really tough situation. Um, and maybe you think, well, we're both Christians. And so domestic violence really that I can't call it that I can't acknowledge that I can't tell anybody. And I just want to say abuse is not holy. It's not. And so if, if there's abuse happening, whether that's emotional, physical, sexual, whatever, please find a safe person. And especially if, if you're in the Thrive community, you know, both of these women here that are on the interview today, they would both be very safe people to go and talk mm -hmm. to. And so get help, tell someone. And, and you can tell it's the right kind of help if they look at you and say, I believe you and you didn't cause this. If they say to you, if you go get help from somebody and they say, well, stop instigating it and it'll stop happening, that's the wrong person to talk to. And you just go on and move on to someone else who <laughs> understands a little bit better. So I would say that. And the last thing I would say also is for those moms out there who, um, I know we've touched on this a couple of times, who have adult children and, or even older teenage children. And they're, you know, there's, there's this transition happening between you being an authority in their life to now you're a mentor in their life. And maybe some of your adult children are making choices that are just breaking your heart. Mm -hmm. um, I just wanna encourage you, don't draw straight lines from some choices that your children are making to some mistake that you made in parenting. Mm -hmm. I think the wiser choice to do is to draw a straight line 
from what your child is going to, to a strength that God saw that you possessed. And of all the world, God handpicked you to be the mother of that child. And you possess a strength that God saw in you that you probably don't even see yourself. And, um, and, and, you know, press into the Lord, recognize your job every day is to be obedient to God. God's job is everything else. So you press into the Lord, listen to the Lord, let truth and grace lead you and love that child. Even if you don't agree with their choices and ask God how to do that well every day. So good. Draw a straight line to a strength you have instead of a mistake. That's awesome. Well, Lisa, thanks for just being you. You're showing up in amazing ways and making a big difference Mm -hmm. in so many people's lives. So thanks for doing that. Um, yeah, for your time today. And well, thank you. It's been an honor and a joy to be with you. And one day when we can all safely travel and gather again, which I think is coming really, really soon. It's close. Uh, It's close. You guys need to come to Haven Place. Oh my God. I'm I'm nudging (laughs) Angie under the table. I'm like, we're going. (laughs) Sign us up. (laughs) I know not everyone can see your awesome house where you're zooming from, but Lisa has a slide in her house that's just put in. So if no other reason, we have to go see this (laughs) awesome slide in the most fun grandma's house. So it's awesome. Well, Well, for sure, we will come out as soon as we can and uh, keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. And let us know if you need anything. But this was awesome. Thanks for encouraging us so much with this conversation. Bless you. Bless you. Bless you guys too. Bye-bye. All right. Talk to you later. Bye. Well, thanks again to Lisa again. Go to lisaturkers.com, Lisa, L-Y-S-A-L-Y-S-A-T-E-R-K-E-U-R-S-T, lisaturkers.com, also proverbs31.org. Thanks again, Lisa, for joining us. Check out all of her resources, all of her books. Follow her on uh, on the social medias. You'll love it. Thanks for your your work. Thanks for leaning in. Thanks for the, the leadership that you're carrying out, and we appreciate all the uh, help and sharing this podcast. So if you would tell your friends about it, let's get the word out. Let's keep adding people into the conversation, into the community here. And on behalf of Ray Johnston and the entire team, we want you to lead well. We want you to be healthy. We want you to thrive. Go to thriveconverse.org to find more resources. Keep uh, keep subscribing. Hit that subscribe button if you would. And uh, there's lots of great episodes. You can binge all the past episodes as well. Some great interviews, great conversations there. So we, uh, we appreciate who you are. We appreciate what you're doing. And we want you to keep leading well, friends. So until the next episode, keep leading well. And we'll talk to you again on the Ray Johnson Leadership Podcast. Mm-hmm.